Star Wars, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Episode 7. Welcome to the Two True Freaks Farewell to the EU Roundtable Discussion. We're going to be talking about the recent announcement uh, at C2E2, I guess, last weekend that Lucasfilm and uh, Lucasfilm Licensing has decided to kind of move on from the old EU and start over again with uh, the new prequel or sequel trilogy coming out, I should say. So tonight we've got Scott Gardner. Hey! We've got... Chris Honeywell. Hi there. And Scott Riffin. <laughs> Hello. And I'm Jonathan Kreitz. I don't think I said that before. You I've did been not. on a I've been on a few uh, true two true freaks podcasts before, a few movie uh, discussions and commentaries and the like, but this one struck close to home. So what's interesting is we had been talking about some doing something similar to this episode since uh, pretty much the day that the announcement came down that Disney was buying Lucasfilm and there was going to be a new trilogy. And the idea then was to have a discussion like, well, what will this mean for the EU? What should it mean for the EU? And kind of go from there. As of last weekend, we've kind of been given an answer as to what that means for the EU. So I thought a good way maybe to start the discussion for tonight would be to kind of have everyone just kind of give maybe their overview of their experience with the EU and what what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, how much they've actually partaken and read in it, or what. So uh, just for myself, I was born in the 80s, a kid in the 90s. To me, the EU, once I got into it and some of my friends got into it, it was Star Wars to us. It really was. We'd all watched the movies a lot, but it just kind of took it to that next level and nuance that the films alone on their own just did not do. The very first book I read was uh, when Mike Sackpole's uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron came out. A friend of mine at school gave that to me to read. He said it was so awesome. His brother had given it to him. And from there on out, it was basically catching up on the whole Bantam era of Star Wars uh, EU novels. And some were better than others, but for the most part, I thought I really liked all of them. And then that uh, really led to kind of the time of the prequel trilogy and the New Jedi Order were both kind of going on simultaneously. And that's when I really kind of went all in on the EU just because there was so much of it. And especially with the prequel trilogy, it was if you were watching the films, kind of following their production and anticipating them coming out, as well as reading all the tie-in novels and comics, it was this massive story. And I was into it. Really, more novels and comics, although I didn't end up reading most of the Dark Horse comics, not all of them, but I've read pretty much probably 99% of the EU novels, and, uh, you know, this, uh, this last, uh, weekend's announcement really kind of put that in question for me, but let's see, uh, let's, let's hear what Scott Reifen has to say about it. 
What a Scott Riefen has to say about it. Well, maybe uh, not say about it, but what was your experience with the EU? I, I think you were kind of similar to me, where you were kind of all in on it. My, yeah, my experience with the EU is, it, it's funny because getting in the middle of geekdom, you get to hear everybody's story about how they came back to Star Wars, how they found it again, and I'm that kid that never went away when... Amen there to was, that. Yeah, when there, <laughs> when there was nothing out there, I was buying what little there was, and uh, I mean, even... even uh, to the degree of I, I don't play role-playing games, but when the role-playing game came out, I bought it. And I bought as much of it as I could afford because it was some kind of documented Star Wars thing. So for me, the EU was Marvel Star Wars, and when that went away in 85, I sat around, and in 87, the RPG came out. In 88, we had Star Wars 3D for uh, three glorious issues, <laughs> and I was there for that. I remember being in college and going to one of the comic shops, and they had this Marvel preview issue. Here's what's coming up next year, a Marvel preview. And it was a new Star Wars series. And I went, holy crap, There's this, this, Marvel's going to do a Star Wars series again. This is awesome. And then as the months went by, it never happened. Right. It, of course, wound up over at Dark Horse. It wound up it wound up being Dark Empire. Dark Empire, that's right. Um, but I remember seeing that preview, and they're going, oh, this is, yeah, I can't believe it. And I actually found a couple of Star Wars buddies at college, which I was, you know, this is, I was in college from 88 to 92, so 88 to 90, that was not really an easy thing to do, but I actually did find a couple of uh, hardcore Star Wars buddies that I could hang out with, but only in limited amounts. But, um... I remember seeing the announcement in previews that Heir to the Empire was coming out. That there was a new Star Wars novel coming out. And I said, well, i gotta, I got to get this. And I knew it was coming out in May. I pre-ordered it through the comic shop that I always went to, Cosmic Cat. Shag knows it quite intimately. And uh, I forgot that at Florida State we got out for the year at the end of April. So my copy of Heir to the Empire was sitting at Cosmic Cat till the end of the summer. Well... When I was uh, working in the mall for my summer job, I remember getting a call from the bookstore, and they went, hey, uh, we got that Star Wars book you were talking about. Do you want one? I said, yes, absolutely I want one. They said, well, come on down and pick it up. And I went down there on my lunch break, and they were gone. Now, you know, I've been dealing with Star Wars, and I watched everything they tried to put out. The Blackthorn stuff didn't take off. The, the, the role-playing game did okay for a while, but it wasn't huge at that point. And I thought, well, here's another Star Wars product that nobody's going to care about but me, and I'll just go snap it up, no big deal. And I got to the bookstore, and it was gone. And I said, what did you do? You get, like, two copies of it or something? They said, no, we got an entire dump bin. I said, where'd it go? They said, it's gone. They, every People picked it up. I said, you couldn't hold me one? No, they went before we could grab you one. And I went, holy, something's wrong here. So there was only one other bookstore in town. I called him up, and he had one copy left. So I went and bought it and started tearing into it. And... So I mean that was that was kind of the beginning of that modern EU for me was getting that copy of Heir to the Empire that summer and making my way through it and then getting back to college and remembering oh I've got another copy of that thing sitting there and uh, I bought it uh, some Mylar outer covers for it like they have at the library oh dang yeah <laughs> and I put them on that and put it on the show and never I've never opened the book it still has the little band around it that's special introductory price. Wow. I mean, it's it's a pristine copy of that book. And uh, from there, I mean, look, there was never a point in time where I wasn't fascinated with the story behind Star Wars and the big puzzle that putting all these pieces together made. So I, there was never a point where I wasn't going to buy that. And I bought everything. I went and bought the audios. I bought the books. I bought the comics. Uh, when Dark Empire finally came out, I was all over it. And, uh, you know, it, 
I buy it all. If it's if it tells the story, I buy it and I've got it. And in the books, and this is going to sound embarrassing, I buy the hardcovers, I buy the paperbacks, I buy the audios. Dang. And I have them all in my office to prove it. Uh, I, as a kid, was not uh, financially liquid enough to get the hardcovers of anything, really. So I was, which was okay back then, because what Bantam would do is literally to the to the month they would one year to the month. I mean, to the exact month that a book came out, they'd put the paperback out, mm-hmm. and so I had enough kind of back log to kind of catch up on and they put a lot of books out in paperback period so that didn't that wasn't a huge hindrance for me but I once I actually did have a job then my task was okay, getting rid of my paperbacks and acquiring the hardcover like original printings of them so that took a while but I eventually cleaned that up cool. you know a lot of people are you know just the idea of the EU like maybe don't like the idea of it or Think it's kind of I don't know I see, critical I, of it, but to me, <laughs> like I said, to me it was Star Wars because between at least you Return of the Jedi and Heir to the Empire, or if you were into comics, the end of the Marvel comics and the Heir to the Empire, that was like the dark times. From what I understand, I was just a small kid at that point. So oh yeah, I mean, I think what Heir to the Empire kind of struck a chord with was a unsatisfied yearning for more Star Wars. And I think yeah. I think what's so crazy about the EU, regardless of whether you like the stories or not, is it to me there it, there's no way that that did not affect Lucasfilm thinking we should make more Star Wars movies. Maybe I'm wrong with that, but just the way it kind of kind of blossomed through the 90s, you know. Yeah, I, I think it had to have some sort of positive impact in terms of thinking. Well, there's definitely uh, a hunger for more of this out there. Yeah, I, you know, I've got a lot. I got a lot of points on what you're saying, but I, I, obviously, we haven't heard everybody else's origin yeah, story. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to step yes. back. All right, Scott or uh, Chris, let's let's hear from you guys. I think we all are kind of familiar with your uh, experiences, but you know, it can't hurt to hear it a little bit more. You know, if you if you go all the way back. To I think it was our our third episode of Two True Freaks. Chris and I did uh, an episode. I don't know if we exactly titled it, but it was, essentially it was "What if there ever was a Star Wars Episode 7? And in that episode, which I, I highly encourage people to listen to, we kind of explained both our you know our origin story, as it were, with the EU, but also our, our feelings on it at the time. So, you know, I'll kind of just recap my own, which was essentially, for me, the, you know, Star Wars was the three films, you know, the three original trilogy films, Marvel Star Wars, you know, Marvel Comics Star Wars, the series, and the things that came out at the time, you know, the newspaper strip and the the different things that came out. But essentially, the, the the expanded universe for me for the longest time essentially was the Marvel Comics Star Wars run, which ran a little bit past Return of the Jedi. Uh, it ran for another couple of years past Return of the Jedi. Didn't really wrap up the story, but it kind of wound down the story, if you know what I mean. Great way to put it. And... Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the first EU novel. And that was pretty much 
the expanded universe in my worldview. And I was content with that. You know, I, I really, I enjoyed all that stuff. I still hold it very near and dear. But after, you know, it's very strange. Shortly after we did the, the episode that we did where, I don't want to say we badmouthed the EU, but I can see where we were kind of dismissive of the of the EU. And we got kind of called out on it, too, as I recall, that there were a lot of people who were really into the EU that were kind of had the attitude of, you know, you guys tout yourselves as being Star Wars fans, yet, you know, are you aware that there's this whole other side of it that apparently you don't know anything about? Right. And I really kind of got to thinking about that, and I kind of took it to heart that, you know, they, well, they're right. There's this giant universe out there beyond just the films and beyond just the Marvel comics that I really don't know anything about because I'd only dabbled in it. You know, like Scott Rifen had said, you know, I stuck with Star Wars. I never really left Star Wars either. You know, I remember when the, the three Star Wars 3D issues came out from uh, Blackthorn. And I definitely remember the day that uh, Heir to the Empire hit because I was working. I was actually living with Chris at the time. We, we lived in, uh, in Rochester and I was working at a local mall there. And I went on one of my lunch breaks and there was a local bookstore in the mall. It was, I think it was a Walden Books, but I forget. Or B. Dalton, one of the About two. About B. Dalton or Walden. Those were yeah, it was one of the there. two. And I remember walking by and here's this dump with this great cover, you know, this this brand new Star Wars hardcover, hard, hardcover book with that band around it. And I snapped it up, not even knowing what it was. I had no idea, was it a story? Was it a making of? What was it? I didn't care. It was Star Wars. It, I didn't have it in my collection, and so I was going to add it in. Snapped it up, and I remember blowing through it, you know, pretty much that day. And I think that my overall dissatisfaction with that initial book kind of set the tone for the modern EU, if you will, mm -hmm. for me for for years after that. Yeah. I found both that that initial novel, that trilogy as a whole, and so many of the books that I either read or sampled or tried to get through, I just found them poorly written, very amateurishly written, and... You know, some of them, God bless them, they tried, but it just didn't quite capture the flavor for me. And so up until very recent times, I, I, I'll admit it, I was very dismissive of the, of the EU because it just didn't quite capture the, the feel for me. But within the past few months, you know, because of things people had told me and, and things I had learned through, you know, just, the internet and different things, you know, as we've been covering Marvel Star Wars on uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday, and people would tell me, hey, you know, this character that you love, you know, Lumaya, you know she pops up, you know, later in the EU and stuff, right? Things like that got me interested again that, okay, I'm going to have to go back and, and give it another shake because I, I've just got to see what did they do with this character that I, I love so much from the old Marvel comics. So I essentially, you know, my, my initial plan was I, I went out and at the, you know, at the expense of both a lot of time and a lot of money, I bought all the books. You know, I bought the whole series. I don't think at this point there's a book that I lack. 
And my intention was to sit down where I left off and read right up through the latest stuff. Well, of course, I quickly realized that's just not going to happen because not only would that take me forever, but I'm an incredibly slow reader. Plus, I've got all these other things going on, you know, both for my own personal enjoyment of reading and for show-related reasons that I'd never, ever get caught up. So I decided, all right, where's a good point where I can jump in? And I figured, well, what the hell? I know that this character, which is really the only thing that's making me want to read this book, I know where she pops up. So why don't I just start with that series where she's going to return, which was the Legacy of the Forced books. Right. So I started there with the first book of that. And instantly, I found myself really sucked in. Now, I have to preface that with saying that a lot of the complaints that I had, I still have. I do still find, by and large, the EU didn't change much as far as my opinion that it was kind of amateurishly written. It was kind of fanboy wankery a lot of the time. However, this one did kind of give me more of what I wanted, even though I still found a lot of the motivations, a lot of the story, you know, was kind of convenient, you know, to get the characters from A to, you know, from point A to point B, the story, the underlying reasons weren't all that solid, you know, the, the, the second galactic war just kind of seemed to happen but there wasn't a whole lot of explanation on why it happened i just rolled with it because the characters i thought were actually nailed very well so i forgave a lot of the mechanics of the story just because i cared about the characters and i was impressed by the fact of while i had missed essentially or skipped 30 years of storytelling I found I didn't lack anything. They gave me what I needed to where I could jump into this story and go forward from there. So I, I found myself intrigued, and I did. I blew through the nine books of that series, and at the end of it, kind of felt like, almost like a new convert. Like, okay, I think I see what people are getting out of this now. I still, like I say, I still have my complaints, but... I see the validity in it for kind of the first time. And so I had had the opinion, at least for the past couple of months anyway, that there's enough here, there's enough story, and they had done so much with it that obviously it, it had matured over time and that people cared about it, that I kind of bought into, I don't know, the fantasy that... No, they won't just dismiss this out of hand. That they, they won't just wash it all away. That there's going to be some element of it that they're going to try to work within this established timeline. That it's a big enough thing and important to enough people that they'll find a way to sync up both the new stuff that we're going to be presented with the movies with as much as they can of the existing expanded universe. And I don't know if that's just naive thinking or wishful thinking or what, but I really did believe that based on a number of different things. Probably the biggest thing was when, you know, Disney CEO Bob Iger himself, right shortly after the, the yeah, EU. he did. He referenced the EU yeah. and the fact that there were all these characters and worlds I, and planets. And yeah, I, I can't. 
quote it to you how he worded it, but essentially the wording he gave made you understand, if you were a Star Wars fan, that he was not talking about just seven films in a, in a TV series. He was talking about everything that was Star Wars because he referenced the tens of thousands of characters and planets and, right. you know, so much more than is what we have seen on a screen, be it the large screen or the TV screen. So it was kind of a given that he was talking about Star Wars, the entire world of Star Wars. So with this announcement, I just, I have to be honest. For one, I'm really glad that, although I apologize to Jonathan, who has been itching to do this show for literally months, that it's taken us so long to get here. On the flip side, I'm kind of glad that we never did the show that I had envisioned because I wanted to do a show which was very much like, you know, brother geeks, you know, be at peace, everything will be well, don't worry. And I'm really glad we didn't do that show because I would have looked like an asshole, you know? I would have looked like a complete <laughs> idiot saying, don't worry, it's not going to be as bad as you think because apparently, yeah, it's, it is as bad as everybody feared because they just made the announcement that, yep, it's all going away. And again, maybe that makes me really naive, but I bought it. I really didn't mm. think that this was where they were going to go. And I find myself in a very strange position of, you know, uh, just a couple of years ago when we started the show being very much an outsider, very kind of dismissive of the EU myself, and now not exactly a convert, but... I feel like I, I see enough of the validity in it that, yeah, it, it kind of stings. It, it kind of pisses me off in the same way of... Uh, I, it's more a sympathetic vibe, if you know what I mean, because I, I feel bad for everybody else because I've been through this already. I went through this with Superman. I went through this with Star Trek. And now it's happening again to the one franchise that I really thought was bulletproof from this sort of thing. I really never saw them doing this with Star Wars, because didn't they tell us a long time ago that there was already somebody that was paid for all this at, at Lucasfilm that made sure that all this stuff was approved by somebody and it was all fitting into some sort of canon? Leland yep. Chi. Yep. Yeah. Leland Chi. I was, uh, I, I, right before I went to you guys' thing, uh, when I, right before I went to you guys' Marvel Star Wars panel, I was in Leland Chi's, uh, Holocron panel. And I was texting Steve Sansweet, by the way, at the same time. It, but here's the thing. I knew the second I heard Disney had bought Star Wars and planned to make episodes seven, eight, and nine, I said to myself, there's a lot of continuity already there. They've got a minefield waiting for them and things like uh -huh. Chewbacca being dead. And I uh -huh. said, there's no way they're going to wrestle with that. Uh -huh. They're going to clean the slate because when you look at, I mean, the books make money, obviously, or they wouldn't still publish them, but they're not, they don't make money on the scale that the movies do. And they're not as widely known and appreciated like the movies are. So you're really only talking about pissing off a small contingent of people who are going to go see the movie even though they're pissed off. Yeah. Well, before we skip into that, let's hear, Chris, real quick, because I think you're already kind of touching on, especially with talking about, like, Leland Chi and the idea of the kind of canon hierarchy. You know, we're already kind of moving on past that. Just, Chris, real quick, why don't you kind of, and maybe you can even lead us into that discussion, why don't you kind of oh, yeah, share, share that with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking when when uh, uh, Scott Gardner first 
invited me onto this show, I was thinking maybe I shouldn't go on there because I really haven't read a lot of the, a lot, most of the novels. But that's exactly why I wanted you here. But as, then I started kind of the outsider Star Wars fan, and that's what I was thinking about too. I'm kind of the outsider of it. But then I started thinking about, ah, no, I've been doing EU since issue number seven of Marvel Star Wars. Yep,、mm-hmm. basically that was my that was the beginning of made up stories to to make it in between Star Wars and Empire, and then Splinter of the Mind's Eye and.、Uh, And geez, you got the Christmas special with the Nelvana cartoon. You got the Clone Wars cartoon, all the Marvel comics. I've read a lot of the Dark Horse comics, and I've read like、uh, I read Han- the Han Solo at Star's End trilogy. Geez, the newspaper comic, the Han Solo Adventures. Yes, yes.、Uh, yeah, for、uh, for you kids,、Mando、that's what they're called. Trilogy. <laughs> also, <laughs> um. So you know, I'd had I, I've I've definitely read some, but you know, I I I re- I've told the story a bunch of times, but I read、uh, about I'm not even halfway through Heir to the Empire, and just gave up on it. I was like, no, this is it wasn't hitting the tone of Star Wars to me, because it was almost too serious fantasy. Um. Type fiction for me, and not the not the light, you know, swashbuckling chapter, you know, chapter to chapter. Sorry, Star Wars story should go, you know, cliffhanger to cliffhanger,、mm-hmm. and set piece to set piece. So I was, and and I wasn't digging the story. I didn't think the story. I was didn't think it was very imaginative. And once again, I'll, I'll refer back to episode three, where. We were talking about after Star Wars. It's real. You can write stories of things happening, but it's hard to write the mythological level stories of it because it's a lot of things have already been tied up with that. You know that were started and tied up. So you know where do you go from there? And that was our basic conclusion of the spoiler of of our third episode was. We didn't know how we would if if somebody hired us to write episode three. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Otherwise, I would have been petitioning for Scott and I to be screenwriters on episode three and screaming from the whatever. You meant episode seven. I know.、Right? I, yes, I know what you know mean. What I mean. <laughs> yes. yes, the the third trilogy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just let him go. He's on a roll. <laughs> But、uh, the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. But I don't want that job. I don't want to try to figure out how to make it how to make it resonant with the mythological feel of Star Wars. And、uh, so, yeah. So I'm feeling a little more confident in my in my EU. You know, to swing my EU dick around in this. <laughs> <laughs> But. You know, I like like Scott Riefen said. As soon as as soon as there was an episode seven being made, I figured, and that was pretty much with the prequels. That, you know, I think Lucas didn't really say we're tossing it all out, but he said,、eh, "If there's something I like, I'll use it." But we're pretty.、Oh. Mu- I'm not gonna. You know, it's not gonna、now. affect. Now wait a minute. They didn't publish prequel era novels. Until the prequels came out, that oh, was, that's true. That was, no, it, it was that was part of it. No, but he certainly felt free to contradict anything that would happen later. I mean, he could 
how many how many different yes. little tellings of the origin of Boba Fett have been out there? Right. And obviously his was totally different. And, well, okay, Boba uh, and Fett is a very interesting tough. one, but I mean, I would say he also mined the EU for some of that. Like mm-hmm. even the idea of the planet being Coruscant. Well, the is name. kind of yes. an EU construction that then became you know a major setting in the prequel trilogy. I guess my point was, yeah, the prequel movies maybe didn't necessarily mesh. Like let's say even in Heir to the Empire, the Clone War dates that are referenced in that don't really like in universe match up I'm going total like you nerd here but don't really match up for. like uh, <laughs> perfectly with the actual time of the movies but I mean like there was almost a moratorium on anything kind of five years before the Battle of Yavin there's kind of a moratorium on anything beyond that you know back into time because of the pre the idea of the prequel trilogy or the prequel films or whatever, so that when they did eventually come around, then it really was the books in the films and everything was a fairly cohesive piece. But not to derail you, sorry. But well, uh, I just remember he, he was kind of hedging his bets with that, right? With that, and I just as soon as I heard they're doing episode seven, I figured they would do the same hedge. It's like both other scouts said, you're. Um, you're really coming in with a lot of baggage and minefields and sure. it's like how are you going to explain to you know the little kid picking their nose going where's Chewbacca did he die can I stop you right there because that I think that's a perfect segue in, into something if you forgive me that I would like to do just, just in a lightning round format <laughs> I'd like to go around, just the four of us real quick, lightning round, with basically a yay or a nay. I would like to know, the EU reboot, in your opinion, necessary or lazy, and why? And defend that position. And I'll go first, and I'm going to say definitely lazy, because I don't think there's that much baggage. Plus... If you're going to set this this new trilogy 30 years past Return of the Jedi, are you telling me that they've just been sitting on their asses for 30 years and nothing has happened? We're going to get some sort of backstory anyway, so yep. why not use the backstory that exists? If they're doing all of this just so Chewbacca can be in the new trilogy, how stupid is that? Because, come on, I love Chewie, I do, but is he that necessary? No, well, I'll make the I'll, I'll make the argument that it's not necessarily Chewbacca that's the necessary one, but they, I think, what really sealed the EU's fate was when they made the decision that they were going to have members of the original cast when yep. they were going to have the big three back, basically. You know, the, I, I mean, it's a it's a shoe in that R two and died. Yeah. Huh? The only major character that's died is Chewbacca. Chewbacca. So, so all of the the big three. That are right. going to be in the the, the 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 I keep wanting to say prequel sequel trilogy are in, EU. are in the EU. So what? Why? Here's the thing. For me, and this almost is kind of the bottom line to my whole point to even want to be here is really all I really have to say is that if they're going to scrap this thing, then damn it, they better do something like what we you and I talked about with our third episode, Chris. This sequel trilogy 
better churn me right on my ear. Like, holy cow, Leia and Han never hooked up. He's He took off for 30 years, and now they're roping him back in for a new adventure. Something bold. Yeah. And because then, of good, that, good writing. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's right. Le- Leia and Han were about to get married, and then he decided to run off, and then this, this kid comes up one day and says, hey, uh, there's this woman named Lee that you used to know that needs to be rescued. Yes, exactly. She's down in South America. Someone's and- like uh, Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, I'm telling you, if 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 this, I have the the worst gut feeling that's what's going to happen is that these sequel movies are essentially going to be some strange amalgam of stories oh, we've gosh. gotten from the EU already, yes. which I think are going to further enrage fanboys. Like, why oh, the hell did you scrap everything if you were just going to piece Cherry your, pick your cherry favorite pick, parts. Rather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cherry pick oh, the best ho- parts of the EU. Well, you see, my vote is going to go towards lazy, but with the caveat that if you and I were writing it, we'd hold it to our standard. Lazy um, with a caveat. There's, like there's a good thing that there's a good thing that 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 Kazdan's involved, but I think when they made the decision to get ha- Han, Luke, and Leia, in, and they started thinking about maybe not the entirety of the EU, but the main stories that really involve them and their children, you're sort of faced with a dilemma. You're sort of faced with those those characters are still there, and they and they've had they've had backstories, but in those backstories. They really weren't thinking that episode seven was coming out, so they played out really major character arcs. Sure, sure. That that were why those characters were created. So then, so you'd have to come up with something beyond that that they would have to do, and ex- and to to some extent you would have to explain. Uh, once again, it would be, it would be you could do it with a with really hard complicated good writing but either way you'd have to explain what all happened with those who which ones fell to the dark side and were redeemed and which ones right. died and and lived and everything and then go on with your new arc that has to be something different or you have to retell or you have to play out those arcs where the important stuff happens which means you're making adaptations of the EU novels which everybody knows what happens in it which is going to be a big disappointment. There's no right. way they're not going to Star Wars movies a top secret production. There's no way they're going to, you know, adapt Heir to the Empire. So thank God they're, they're kind yes. of yeah yeah they're kind but they're Amen. kind of stuck. It, and and it just makes it a lot more convenient well, for the writers to have a clean slate and. To maybe, who knows how much they're gonna be like, well, you know, uh, you, I don't see it with any major character arcs, but, you know, bringing in a character that was like Thrawn or something like that that was really popular. I think oh, that's like that guy, some, yeah. the guy that they cast that everybody was like, ooh, he's the bad guy? Who's he gonna be? Ten bucks is that dude's Thrawn. I'm gonna call it right now. Ten bucks mm. is that guy's drawn. See, I, I think I see what they're doing here. And I think they're playing that whole um, resonance. You put a mirror in the middle of all the movies and have... So you have basically Vader and the twins, Luke and Leia, spanning um, the other two 
trilogies are the characters that go from one to the other. Luke and Leia just as infinks. But either way, those are the characters. So it makes sort of sense for the twins and Han Solo, because, hey, he's there. You know, but to have some characters over overlap into the next one so that you can have that resonance of... And, and they're doing the, like, they've hired um, Max von Sydow, who's the basically the Christopher Lee or... Yeah, uh, I think he's going to be the Sith Lord, and his apprentice is going to be Darth Clytus. <laughs> Which nice. would be... I mean, but that's great that he was in a Flash Gordon movie, because, <laughs> you know, it's it's a nice little... It's a, It shows me that they're thinking, but I'm hoping that they're thinking beyond the surface level of... Because there's a lot of Star Wars stuff that you get that gets the surface level of the, the neat things about Star Wars. But when you're talking about if you're going to do a Star Wars numbered movie that's going to be a trilogy, you have to have some sort of arc of mythic proportions. You can argue all day about whether they succeeded in the prequels, but they, you know, but there was an attempt to do that. So I'm hoping this isn't just some sort of like, oh, the Empire's rebanding and there's a, you know, new new Dark Lord or something. I hope they come up with something a little more complicated and un- unexpected as that. Whether I'm going to hold my breath for that, I don't think so, but... You know, I, I I think if I were in their position, I might be I might be very tempted to want to scrap the EU too because they're also under pressure to get the movie rolling. <laughs> if you wanted to keep EU everything square with the EU, that's a lot of reading and cross referencing and uh, to to make everything fit and. Uh, at this point, they probably just need to be moving forward at all times. So much for lightning round, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's no such thing as a lightning round of this crowd. What say you? Me? Yeah. Um, you gave me the choice of lazy. I don't even remember the choices anymore. Necessary or lazy? Necessary or lazy, and you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to throw on a third choice. Ooh. Control Freak. This is J.J. Abrams we're talking about. He doesn't like to play in anybody else's sandbox except his. When he took Star Wars, Star Trek, he did the same thing. And Paramount was interested in relaunching it on TV, and he said, hell no. He squashed it. And everything that has come out has been the comics and all of that. They've, they've done everything they could to try and bend over backwards to please him until, of course, he left the franchise. But while he was on the franchise, he kept a, a very tight fist on it. And what happened was was uh, stuff that happened because he was involved or his people were involved. And so I think I think he's a large part of the reason that the playing field was cleared like that. I think, here's the thing, they could go off and make whatever movie they want to and leave it to the EU people to back the continuity in there. They've done it before and they, they can do it again. But that's not what he wanted. Here's the thing, it's, but it's not a shoo-in that he's going to, that he, that, He's going to do more than one Star Wars movie, right? He's not He's not directing every Star Wars movie. No, but I'll tell you this. His production company, you know his production company is, is technically going to be one of the producers on this movie. Mm. So I think he's got a piece of the whole trilogy. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, man. I, I guess I kind of, when they announced the new trilogy, assumed, I assumed the worst in that they would reboot the EU. I guess I was hopeful that 
what I would, not that that would be lazy, but maybe the more nuanced approach necessarily would to maybe partially redo it. Let's say anything that directly interfered with these movies, similar to what they've kind of done with the Clone Wars, they've just really had to, you just kind of have to look at it sideways to make all the Clone Wars stuff fit now. Right. Well, I thought maybe they would do something similar with the new films, which I would say that might be necessary, but I guess to me the idea of just totally scrapping it and making it kind of a legendary quote-unquote legends status is on the lazy the lazy side of our little choices here. Absolutely. Now, Scott Gardner, I want you to think about this, because you like Legacy of the Force a good bit, right? Yeah. That's, that's, I, I, you know, overall, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. And that's the one with Lumia in it. So yes. I want you to think about this. After this reboot, because Clone Wars, they said, has a halo a around it. Yeah. yeah, it gets to stay. Yeah. So what they're saying is, after this happened, the people at Lucasfilm decided it is a good idea for Lumia to not exist in continuity, but for Zero the Hut to exist. <laughs> oh. Well, if I understand, <laughs> if I understand the whole thing right, they essentially said that anything that existed, and please correct me if I've got this wrong, but anything, say, from, from A New Hope, to Return of the Jedi, both the films and anything that existed in between still exists, right? No, I don't know. Or is it just so. the films? No. I, I think no, it's the films, it's, Clone Wars, and Rebels. That's it. That's it. So yeah, that's it. Splinter of the Mind's well, Eye, Marvel, and, Star Wars. And new EU from here going on. Yes, that's all legend status. So my first thought my my first initial thought once I got over the the gut reaction of oh wow yeah it's all gone was wait a minute no this this makes Lumia reborn essentially potentially she's still out there because she was part of Marvel Star Wars but if they're now saying that Marvel Star Wars the original run was never canon then she never even existed in the first place correct nope, nope. and yeah, that's the my understanding of it I am not cool with that. Not well, cool with that at all. And what's even more frustrating to me, and this can kind of segue into kind of like the post-EU announcement, is they've announced four new books. And mm -hmm. some of them, I, I mean, they're all interesting to me. This kind of goes into the whole, like, well, fool me once, you know, shame, shame yeah. on you mm -hmm. type conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I'm in this serious quandary of, like, I like the authors. Most of these, I think three of the four people have written Star Wars books in the past. Yeah, and John Jackson Miller's the first one, and I well, love the guy. Yeah, John Jackson Miller's great. Paul Kemp is good. And I really like James Luceno. Mm -hmm. He's writing the uh, Tarkin book. And I me, love his writing. And let me, I'll say this. If, if you're you. writing good stuff, support writers. You okay, know. well, and that's sure, kind there's of that, but also let me Let me throw you this bone, Jonathan, because I think what you're looking for is, is essentially give me a reason why I should care. I, I'll give you this reason. Because I would suspect that these guys, some of these guys are probably going to use whatever turn you want you know actively subversively whatever a lot of these guys i imagine are going to operate a lot of the same way that a lot of the dc writers acted right after 
say, Crisis, crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. for example, where they weren't down with it and they never agreed with it. They never thought it was a good idea. So they just basically continued to do what they wanted to do. And <laughs> sometimes they had to be sneaky and subversive about it. But 20 years later, they got their way. Well, and my only thing with that is that might happen. I guess my point is they've moved all this stuff to legend status, but it's got this weird thing now where, let's say, they do start referencing EU planets or events or characters. Then it's like, well, is that in or out now? Because, honestly, when I started reading the EU, that was the situation the Marvel books were in. Yep. That that was considered, like a gray area for the most part and that slowly over time writers were coming in who grew up and dug the Marvel comics so they started retroactively kind of working it in until you got something like Lumia being you know a major villain in uh, like a five year book series so man I don't know that's uh well yeah the other interesting thing that I understand from this, and, and again, you guys correct me if, if I'm having the wrong mis- uh, having the wrong understanding here, but my understanding is in the previous iteration of the expanded universe, there were different levels of canon. There was yes. G, G yes. canon, which was the movies, and that's right. it. George Lucas's right. fingerprints were on it. Then it was that was D canon, and everything else. There were different levels, and you know one would take precedent over the other. G canon took precedent over everything else, and then if you you know what you had done to match up, yeah, they would. You'd have to find a way to make yours wind up matching up or conforming to that. My yes. understanding is from this point forward, everything is essentially what would be considered G canon. Yes, novels, well, that's, comics, movies, all of it's the same. Well, that's you because buy that? now, well, I no, well, the they'll only wipe reason- it clean eventually. Well, I wonder, well, now that this is... See, here's the thing. All it takes is any, one bad story. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't... They've got a team now. And they say that this team, they've never had anything like this before. They had, like, an actual story team that will, I think, have a much more tight control over what comes out than maybe what was in there before. But... Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about that, I guess. I think the whole idea of the kind of tiered canon, that was what made the Expanded Universe so great, was because as long as it didn't contradict the films, then it was all good. And the first kind of chink in that armor came with the Clone Wars. And the Clone Wars is plenty good, but I remember I was reading the books between Episode 2 and Episode 3, where I mean, between the books and the like Republic era comics, mm-hmm. they had a super tight story yep. going that I was, I mean, I was buying those books the day they came out. And then the Clone Wars comes out, and all of a sudden that's all been screwed up. So I guess, you know, no one really thought back then there was ever going to be a sequel trilogy. I think that gave us kind of this peace of mind thinking, well, that might have happened with the Clone Wars. That's weird, but there's never going to be a sequel trilogy. Now that that's happening, I think it's kind of like this was almost inevitable. I guess I was just kind of hoping there'd be some way to salvage it, even if it was partially. But, you know, maybe it's going to be okay. Uh, You know, especially with the writers they do have coming on board are, I think, you know, pretty high-quality guys. So, I don't know. 
Well, let me well, let me ask you. But, but well, actually, before we do that, I just want to say that I agree with Scott that, uh, and and I'll even uh, go a step further. I don't even think it's going to take one bad story to show the the chink in this this pretense of hey, everything's canon from now on, no matter what. I don't think it's so much one bad story, one bad video game. Because <laughs> look how many video games that they've put so much time and, and investment and everything else into, and then they release it, and it just f- fails to perform. Right. So if everything is canon now, including the video games you watch, I, I guarantee that's going to happen at some point, that they're going to come out with this game that they think is gonna, just going to light the world on fire, and it's just not going to. And... How are they going to deal with that? Especially if it has a storyline or characters or something that are supposed to affect the overall tapestry or, of the whole rest of the story. They'll or something involved with the to. films directly or something. Let's yeah. say it's a video game, you know, with missions based around events in, a, in the film. You know, the games have always been in a weird spot anyway. Yes. It's, it's usually right. been yeah. it's usually been the plot, the general plot of the game fits in. But, you know, obviously character, power levels, and, you know, all that kind of stuff was yeah. kind of understood to be not. My but, problem, um, my problem yeah. with video games being continuity, period, is a couple of things. One, obviously, something concrete has to have happened if you're putting it in a continuity. And nothing concrete happens in the games except for certain plot points, as you say. The other problem I have is that most of the playable characters are in some way... Derivatives. Rep- yeah, they're a representation uh-huh. of, a, of a real character that they can't mess with for continuity's sake. And so it really, it really to me, kind of diminishes the storytelling of the video games. The video games are there to play. I don't like putting them in continuity unless there's some spinoff like uh, Jedi Knight. They had the Dark Forces uh, I was about to say, Dark Forces is yeah. kind of... Yeah. The, and maybe Knights of the Old Republic. Those are kind of the two, let's say, you know, those are kind of like the best examples of what the video games can do. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the uh, Force Unleashed games for the very, you know, to me, I don't know. I, I didn't like the plot elements that were included in those that are supposed to be part of the story now. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in its best sense, the EU, to me, could just has a lot to offer and can add so much. I mean... Before this, there's going to be a whole lot of there's going to be the yearly Star Wars movies also. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, third ones. Well, so and I think another minefield. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's hard not to like just see the total like mercenary capitalist, uh, you know, mindset behind this. In that, if they reboot everything that went before, they can they can sell those as a Legends banner book or comic. And now they have a whole new set of films and a whole new set of yeah. whatever to just start over and do it all over again. Yeah. So well, that's, that's that's hard. I mean, believe me, I work for an oil company. I get the profit motive completely, <laughs> but uh, I've got another. It's hard not to go past that sometimes when I'm the one actually well, out for it. That's sort of the history of all all like mass media stuff. Sure. And when right. I look at the big picture of all this, it's just like. Um, if anybody uh, um, ever gets to see Scott Rifen's video that he uh, <laughs> put out about uh, <laughs> when, when you see all his EU books on on the shelf before they, they come Ooh. off the shelf, 
Who cleaned up that mess anyway? <laughs> you know he uh, did. Yeah, my son and I did. Well, you know I did because they've got to go back into order. Right, That's right, right. <laughs> exactly. So, so now basically in the big picture of it, it's oh. like symbolically you should just have another shelf, and then you, it's like yeah. here's this time period. So yeah. when when the historians talk about Star Wars, you know, 500 years from now when it's the dominant religion of the planet, and, <laughs> you know, everybody, and you know, so. And all the diners look like the diner diner in episode two, um, you know that 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 will be in in that time. Okay, here is the time period where Disney owned it, and you know, and now and then fifty years later when uh, GE bought it, you know, this is the new set of EU novels. And I think I think what I'm going to do there's going to be a sequel down the road where I rip down all of the Marvel essentials, but that's a different podcast. <laughs> And and it's it's all just part of the evolution of of something. I mean, when when you have so much attention on a story and a universe, and so many people writing stuff about it, you get to that point of where it's like um, the TV series Mash la- la- lasting longer than the actual war it was about. Right. Uh, to where you know characters and things that go on are just sort of like just more reaching the saturation point so it 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 hits that mythical level where it's like yeah you can reboot it here and there you can do this and that you can just pretend that this didn't happen and stuff just whatever it takes to keep it manifesting in whatever time period it is and i mean star wars has pretty much proven that it's one of those things that's going to do that like you know, Superman or or the Lone Ranger or, you know, they're going to pop up every once in a while. They're cultural icons. Maybe in we, seven or eight years they'll publish a story, The Luke of Two Worlds. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, maybe they'll have some sort of, like, cri- crisis on infinite Star Wars worlds where they'll have all of them come together. Let me ask you this. I I, I had another, uh, an idea I was trying to work in here. Again, another hopefully lightning round uh, question here. (laughs) Good luck. luck. Has has this affected your enthusiasm for the sequel trilogy? You know, positively, negatively, what? Let me jump in on that one. Okay. It has not, well, no, I would say it still has not because I think the movies could be great. I guess I just, it's actually been now that I kind of, it's an understood, I know where I'm at now. Now I feel like I can really be open to whatever comes on because, you know, they've kind of, and I think that's why they did this is because, or made the announcement, I should say, they've obviously been planning to do it, but they've made this announcement when they did to kind of prep the way. If they had launched this announcement a month before the movie came out, when they put out, let's say, the novelization of the movie or whatever... You know, I think they had to do it now, and I think it kind of frees me up maybe to turn that part of my brain off that, well, where does this fit? You know, is this between which set of novels or what comic story or whatever it may be? Frees up some baggage. Well, I, it does, and I mean, it doesn't mean I'm happy with it, but in, in, but in, in for Scott's actual question, I actually think it probably, you know, kind of loosens that up for me. For me... This is going to be scandalous, but I think it actually has made me a little more hopeful for for there being a, 
a real I've been getting more hopeful lately that that we're going to get something that resembles a real Star Wars movie. I'm hopeful enough anyway that whatever we get is going to be at the very bottom rock rock bottom will be as good as the prequels, which means that I won't have to wail and gnash my teeth that I'll probably get some enjoyment out of it. But I think they've learned a lot of lessons from the prequels. Um, whether that means whether those lessons are going to be, you know, overshadowed by new things that you know are by um, brought in by like Abrams' ego or whatever. But I think I've always been glad that they're sort of they sort of ditched George Lucas, the George Lucas bubble, because they might get a little more response. But I'm optimistic because I think with especially with Kasdan sitting in there it sort of frees them up to not have to worry about lining up the Skywalker family if they had not picked the original actors to be in there I might have a different opinion on all this but now that they picked those guys it's like they sort of had to make the choice do we want to work with the, the Skywalker and Solo family that we have from the EU or do we want to bring in our own and I think they chose to bring in their own and I'm hoping that just like moves things forward <laughs> keeps things moving forward and gives them enough options for a really compelling storyline you know but writing is so hit and miss in genre movies lately that I don't want to get too optimistic about it but it's sort of counterintuitive but there you go. Has it affected my enthusiasm for the sequel trilogies? Yes. Because it tells me that the people making these movies don't care about all things Star Wars like I do. They care about doing the job they were hired to do, and they wanted to get every obstacle out of their way towards doing the job they were hired to do. And not they don't seem to have the sense of the history of the property. I hope that's not true. You, uh... I, I, see, I'm hoping with Kasdan in there and that... Abrams, the douche that he is, seems to be a genuine Star Wars. And when I watch Super 8, I'm like, he he does have a feel for making a real movie Ooh. and writing a real script. See, and one of the things that I was critical of Super 8 for was he screwed up the period detail, and particularly Star Wars. Uh, if, if you notice very little Star Wars in those kids' bedrooms, mm -hmm. if, if you watch E.T. or Poltergeist, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, but basically, the only real Star Wars thing that you saw in a big way was the Warren magazine that you saw twice, the, the uh, famous monster Star Wars special. And you saw that in both kids' houses, but that was it. You could watch J.J. Abrams' first New Trek movie and know that he liked Star Wars because he made a Star yes. Wars movie. And the second one was like all the set pieces were all the like space chases and stuff were were test runs for, for Star Wars. Yeah. He's got that he's at least got the physical and visual feel down for it and they say they're shooting for an original trilogy feel to to this movie. I don't know. I, I mean I don't want to expect the Star Wars movie I want. I don't know if that movie is possible. I, I'm I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that the prequels have into my skin and <laughs> prepare prepare I just don't think it, they could be not to say that I, I love the prequels actually 
but I don't think it could be worse. You know what I mean? I think that they've that they are at least self-aware enough to know not to have Andy Serkis playing old Jar Jar Binks. You know? Ooh, I'd like that. It, I'd like it too in the hands of a good in in the right in like our hands. Yeah, <laughs> something could be done with that, but or or the equivalent of a Jar Jar Binks. You know, I don't know if there's I I I'm hoping there's not going to be their moment that moment. You know, in the first ten minutes where you go, whoa, really? <laughs> this yeah. is happening right now. What uh, what? I think you make a great point that the new one is designed basically to be something that pleases fans of the original trilogy. And that's one of the things that disappoints me, because one of the things I really loved about the prequel trilogy was that George Lucas literally went in and said, okay, you think it's going to be this? Tough shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. I'm going to give you the story I want to tell you. I'm not going to focus group test it, and I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do the movie I want to do, and if you guys don't want this... Go to hell. This is my movie. And this is going to be more pandering. And, yeah. you know, I was having a conversation with the, the Dinner for Geeks guys, and Ryan was just gushing over the fact there are going to be real models and real effects, and, you know, going to be practical effects. It's going to be all over. I mean, isn't that great? And I just kind of went, well, probably not. I went and rewatched, you know, I've got a 70 inch screen and a projector, and I rewatched The Empire Strikes Back Blu ray the other day. As much as I love that movie, the practical effects in the movie are leaky. By today's standards. Well, aren't these a lot of the same fanboys that absolutely crucified, uh, crucified Brian Singer for his uh, supposedly too slavish approach to Superman the movie when he made Superman Returns? Right. Now, I don't agree with that criticism, but that's kind of what it sounds like. like. Like, these same people are so happy that Abrams is going to go in and be so slavishly devoted to the original trilogy, I'm not so convinced that that's a good thing. I'm hoping that and they can this was, in. This was yeah. actually going to be my my next follow-up question, uh, was I, I would love to get everybody's opinion about the inclusion of, say, you know, Hamill and Fisher and, and Harrison. Do you think it's a good thing, it's a bad thing? Before we do that, I, I didn't get a chance to to give my own uh, answer to my own question, uh, has it dampened my enthusiasm? Absolutely it has. It, it took the wind right out of my sails. I know. Now, that, I'm going to preface that by saying, I'm already on record by saying, I never asked for more Star Wars movies anyway, so maybe I shouldn't bitch. I, I never asked for more. I was perfectly content that, you know, we got the original trilogy, we got the prequel trilogy. The story's been friggin' told, in my opinion. Yep. So I never asked for any more. I was kind of happy that they decided to give me more until this. And I really can't put it better than, Scott, you already put it, that I don't get a sense of respect and awe and reverence to something when you walk right in and go, everything that you've ever known and everything you've ever spent a dime on is completely thrown out the window, never mattered, never will matter. Really? That's that's how you're going to show me that you respect this property? When you come in and you do the same thing to it that you did to Star Trek. You know... I've never been well, all yeah, that crazy that J.J. Abrams is taking over this franchise because I don't think he should be rewarded for what he did. You know, let's face it, no matter if you like the new stuff, if you don't, he destroyed something that someone else built that a hell of a lot of people cared about. 
I don't want to see him do the same thing to Star Wars, and this is not a good first step in showing me that he's not going to do that. That said, you know, I'll, I'll be quiet on that point at this point, because the movies, you know, we don't know that much. I don't know where it's right. going to go. But all I'm going to say is that he really has to come in and show me that he's doing something daringly different mm -hmm than the EU did in order to justify having thrown it out. Because if he just comes along, and as we already said, cherry-picks the EU for this new story, then I'm going to question what was the sense to throw it out then. Anyway, follow-up lightning round question, the inclusion of the old guys, a good thing, a bad thing? Because personally, I ain't getting the best feeling about this. And my, you know, I'm going to point directly at Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull, I, I think it was a valiant effort. I think it was a spectacular failure in a lot of ways. And, you know, everybody, oh. gets, everybody gets older, and I appreciate that. But these guys are looking damn right. I thought, I thought I, you see, when I watched Crystal Skull, I was like, man, I was really doubtful about Harrison Ford. He's holding his own, and, yeah. it, and it feels like Indiana Jones to me. That being said... At first, if if it would have been my call, I wouldn't have put the those three actors back in at first. But now that I'm thinking about it, the whole if you wanna if you wanna make them mythologically work together, you need them in there. I just hope that. And once again, it's gonna keep going to what you keep saying, Scott. They're gonna have to go bold and strong with the script. I, actually, I think to make any any approach they take, EU or not, this script is going to have to be, back to episode three of our show, this script is going to have to be really good to but be I'm a not good even Star Wars about, I'm not even talking about that. I'm simply talking about... Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example, and the only one that's immediately coming to my mind is the the season finale this season for Walking Dead. How many people realized that that was Tasha Yar at the end of that episode? As I, I heard someone say that was her, I thought, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? you <laughs> 30 years, up. man. Exactly. Years. That's, that's that is precisely my point. But there are times that I don't want to see that. There are times, I don't, I, I gotta be honest with you, it's gonna, it's gonna pain me to walk into a theater and see one of my childhood heroes, Luke Skywalker, be a puffy old bastard. I just, I really don't want to, I want to remember him the way he was. They, I really he's don't already losing him that way. Yeah. The but, last picture I saw of him, he's looking pretty Luke Skywalker y. It was kind of, it, it, it was kind of encouraging. I don't know how, what kind of shape they're going to get Carrie Fisher. Well, yeah. He, he and Carrie Fisher were supposed to have gotten with a trainer and been doing some extent. I mean, that was supposed to be one of the conditions of bringing him on board. I think both of them failed. And, and I think I think Carrie Fisher, you can see it in the cast photo that they released last week. And I think also the news that came out right about on deadline, right about the same time as the casting information, was that Harrison Ford was going to have a major part in the film. Not Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher were going to have a major part in the film. Let me put it a different way. Since this is now in-house at Disney, let me put it a different way. I think there's a very good reason that we never got Snow White 2 
or Cinderella, although there have been Cinderella. I was going to say, because they couldn't ship it over to Korea fast enough? Well, no, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's that these movies end... Now, granted, they're, they're, they're fairy tales and they're Disney, you know, classics, but they very much end with a, and they all lived happily ever after. Granted, it didn't say that at the re- end of Return of the Jedi, but maybe that's one of the biggest reasons I never really cared much about the EU. Well, that's a very common criticism of the, of the EU. a long time and, until this stuff that picked up way later. Because I kind of just wanted them to live happily ever after. Now you're going to give me the rest of the story picking up 30 years later where they're old and they're fat. And granted, I mean, that happens. To, it happened to me. Jesus Christ, I'm old and fat. But, I mean, who wants to pay to see that when it comes to your, your mythic heroes? I, I just, I really don't. Well, I, I really don't want to see that. The same way I wouldn't want to see Snow White 2... 30 years later, and, you know, she she's fat and living in suburbia, and she's divorced, and she's got four kids, and she's struggling to... F- I don't want to see that! No, she I would have seven have, kids, actually. Like I said, though, you, you, ever seen young, you ever seen young Alec Guinness? Yeah. He was, he was young and skinny and dashing, and then you see old Alec Guinness, but... It, once again, with a good script and good characterization... Yeah, you show a Han Solo and a Luke Skywalker, you get Luke in the shape, but they're they're looking old. Yeah, have a have a backstory that put those miles on them, and and have them as seasoned, gristled characters. You know, because they're seasoned, gristled, and, and old. What what, what <laughs> where you go wrong with stuff with dumb shit like this is when they you know when they try to make movies with people that are too old is when they trot them out and try to make believe that they're still that they're still young. That's why Die Quentin, hard. Tarantino, <laughs> Die yeah. Hard. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino succeeds a lot in bringing back old B actors that have gotten a lot older because he casts them in a he casts them a role and gives them a part that that reflects the, the years that you see on them and the, and gives them more experience and all that. So with a good... All this is all prefaced with, with a good script. And the only thing that makes me hopeful for that is that Kasdan is, is involved. He's just a fantastic script writer. He's got such a great... Um, What's his track record been for the, the last fifteen part. years? Well, yeah, but then there's Dreamcatcher. Yes, that's true. But. <laughs> then there's uh, Wyatt Earp. It, here's here's my my answer to your question, Scott Gardner. Uh, first off, Crystal Skull, Harrison Ford, whatever issues it had, Harrison Ford, I don't think was one of them. But uh, I, I'll give you that, that there was nothing wrong with his performance. But uh, the the scene that I point to in that is the scene where. They're surrounded by the killer ants, and the big dude has beaten the hell out of him. And every single blow that was landed on Indy, it was like watching my grandfather get his ass kicked. <laughs> I just, it was painful to watch. It was like, don't hit grandpa, you're going to hurt him. You know, and, and granted, he's supposed to be Indiana Jones. I just didn't buy it. When he hit the guy back, I'm like, no, no, no. It, it's It's not doing that much because you're... You're you're an old man years now. Old. <laughs> yeah, and I'm um, sorry, but it's German I homunculus. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I didn't buy it, and it was hard to watch. That's that's the only point I'm trying to make. I love these guys, and I'm not trying to run them down. Jesus, everybody gets old, and I appreciate that. Well, 
I'm just saying I don't want to watch it. I will say I think it's a mistake because I think it is indicative of the pandering that we were talking about earlier. One of the things that really bothers me about this is this this whole it's going to be like the original trilogy, and I think that's why they're bringing everybody back is to go tell everybody, come on, we got the band back together. you got to come see this. Uh, we're going to pander to you in all kinds of great ways. We're going to do real models, even though they don't look as good as some of the CGI spaceships. And we're going to, you know, we're going to bring in the old guys, even though they don't look as good as they used to look. But they're going to have the old set because we're just pandering to you. And one thing, again, even if you want to slag the prequel trilogy, it moved. That's one thing that I always appreciated about Star Wars, period, not just the fun that I had going to see it. The first trilogy moved the medium forward. We had motion control cameras that came because of it. We had Go Motion that came out, really, and established itself in this. A number of technological innovations that took place there. In the the, uh, prequel trilogy, look, we're going to the movies now. We don't go to the movies with celluloid. You know why? Because when Lucas made episode two, he said, I'm shooting it digitally, and you guys need to get ready to show it digitally. Yeah, and the whole film industry went, we're not going to do that. Luke George Lucas, you're crazy. We'll never adopt digital film. And they did. They literally tried to rebel against it. And now, just, I mean, 10 years after that movie came out, we're 12 now, but, but two years ago, you couldn't go see a celluloid film. It's all digital now. It, and he, again, Jar Jar, for all the criticism of him, was a revolutionary character because he was a fully digital character plunked into the middle of this uh, a fully fully expressive digital character plunked into the middle of this real setting, it moved the medium forward. I don't get any sense that this sequel trilogy is going to move the medium forward. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Not if they're moving backward, it's not. But you know what? A lot of of this stuff, when they're saying, oh, we're going to use real models, all this stuff, I don't trust any of it anymore (laughs) to what there's, whether they're good whether when we see the movie it's gonna this is gonna have the feel of the other movies no who, no who knows I mean when we saw the trailer for episode one it looked like this sort of dark and ominous um sci-fi thriller almost mm. and then I remember seeing the first scene from the movie that they showed in the which was them meeting Jar Jar and I'm like wait Roger Rabbit is in this he's even through <laughs> the problems. You know, you know what's, what's what's funny about that is the story can, ending. Well, they, no, they can say what they want to say. I'll tell you a Kiss story. Uh, Kiss started making albums again a couple of years ago, and one of the things that they said was, "We're going to record straight to analog tape because we want mm-hmm. that feel. We want that, and that's part Old of their marketing for it." Yeah, was they? You know, we're going to record to analog tape, and we're recording to analog. So you you watch an episode. There's an episode of Gene Simmons' Family Jewels where they don't really tell you what they're doing. They just they pop in on a scene, and, and the point of the scene is not supposed to be what's happening, but they show you kind of what's happening to set it up so that somebody can then walk in and change the direction of the scene. You know, But in the set a scene establishment, they're sitting around a guy, and he's explaining something to him. There's no context for it, but if you're a KISS fan and you pay attention to what's going on and you know anything about computers, you realize the guy is sitting there showing them how you can process a digital recording to make it sound like it was recorded on tape. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And it's right there on the show. So that's, Uh, you know, when they say, oh, we're going to use models, you have to go, I doubt that they're really going to just use models. You see, all this stems to me, what what I'm really hoping that it doesn't have and, and that's really all it comes down to. We're never going to know till it comes out of the package, I guess. 
what I really hope it doesn't have that feel, and I don't want to slag Star Tours. Please don't slag Star Tours. Star Tours is awesome, <laughs> but when you watch, if you watch, take the video of Star Tours as like a Star Wars movie. It's got all the elements of it, but it's sort of just a showy. It's a ride. Sure. So it's got it's it's the characters are all just sort of general approximations of themselves and things that sort of happen. You could the safest way to make a Star Wars movie right now would be like that, and mm -hmm. that's that's actually my darkest fear. Is that's that it actually, ends up being like that, where it's yeah. like. It has some really great, amazing set pieces in it, and the story is not too bad, and the acting's okay, but it just ends up sort of pasteurized and it, it doesn't mean sanitized. Anything. Yeah, yeah, it, it lacks that grit. I'm hoping this movie has, I'm hoping it has a little grit to it. I hope I'm hoping that there's some some level of realization that it's like okay. You know, we have to. We have if we're going to bring Star Wars back to the and and I really I I count on that from the writing end of it. So whoever if whoever writes it writes a because if a, you get a good script, now nah, you know Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill are really their acting careers were made around and pretty much were Star Wars. Well, and Harrison, Corvette Summer. And Corvette, but but you know, <laughs> but, but Harrison Ford is like he's he's a really good actor. You know, he's hit and miss lately, but he's a but if you give him a good script, a he'll you know he'll 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 grab onto it and he'll become the character. So if you give these guys a script where they can become their characters, and I watch this and I realize, oh, this is Han Solo, and now they've made me interested in what Han Solo is doing right now. Then I'll be overjoyed. I'm not holding my breath for it. You know, I'm pretty much girdling down that it's going to be great set pieces. Well, I'll go ahead and warn you now. I guarantee you, Solo will have to punch somebody out in this movie. I'm just warning you. I now. think he's going to end up dead at the end of it. Of course, I think, I think he's been dying think for that. Gonna, I think a lot of people think when that announcement came out that he was going to have a major role in the first film. That means because he's going to die in the first year. Yes, he's going to He's finally going to fuck you, George Lucas. Now we get to end Han Solo the way he should have. And I really agreed with Harrison Ford with that. That would have been a more dramatic. I don't know if it would have made a better movie, but it would in the character arc of Han Solo, it would have made more sense, and it would have been, you know, he he had a good point to where there was really no. Nobody, you know, we didn't lose anybody major in in Jedi. There was no sacrifice for that victory. No, and they were supposed to at least squeeze Lando out. It would have been a real shame if they killed Speaking off. Speaking of which, I haven't heard him mentioned in the in the new movies. A lot of people. There's a meme going around with Lando going, "Hey, what about me?" Well, but, they got another uh, black guy, so it's they don't their quota's not. It's already filled. Well, I wondered if Lando he was going to be sequel bait. Yeah, somebody needs they need they need some people for the other movies. So, hey, why not and why not fill out that that, that resonance with resonance, the original yeah, trilogy? Yeah, exactly. That's the word I was just gonna say too. And have Lando show up in the second movie and betray them. Well, to quote Lando, this deal's getting worse all the time. Yeah, I hope it's <laughs> not like in the. I hope we're not in the Burt Reynolds, you know, Cannonball Run eighteen. <laughs> they, they trot these where, where they you know they trot out hey it's Princess Leia and she's like hi how are you doing and 
it's, you know, <laughs> just just sort of there, and they've given him a role. Here they are. Let's let's bring him out. Yeah, this is what you want to see, right? It was sort of like, um, you know, when when Peter Sellers was almost too old to play Clouseau, you know, and uh, well, then he died playing like in the middle of a yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he was definitely too old at that point. Yeah, and and it was still there. But it was just like you were sort sort of watching, or where some you know guy who played something on a sitcom comes out thirty years later onto a talk show and goes into his character, and it's just like, oh no, man, no. That's what I was saying. I, I'm I'm really well, hoping against that, but I'm hoping that you know all this stuff that we're talking about right now is floating. Right on top of the brains of everybody involved in this movie, including Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and uh, and uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I don't know with Harrison Ford, whatever man, if he's thinking paycheck, whatever, he's still the kind of actor who, if it's paycheck, he'll still he'll bring it into it. But I'm hoping I'm Mark Hamill, especially, I would imagine, is like you know, takes his role as Luke Skywalker seriously in, uh, in almost a uh, a um, Christopher Reeve sort of manner. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm hoping that he he's really interested in... I don't know. Good. Christopher Reeve always said he wouldn't do Superman 5 because Superman doesn't have love handles. Luke Skywalker's going to have love handles. He's not Luke Skywalker. He's not Superman either. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, you know, um, so. I was just going to say, I think... I think... You could um, one of Shatner's girdles. <laughs> I think something that kind of is the same answer for many of these questions, and especially even regarding the EU and the reboot, is if the new movie... It'll be worth it if the new movie is great. The same yeah. thing with these, if these, with these actors being there. Yeah, if it all turns out great, then it'll have been worth it. I'll be if in a not, good mood. Then if I'll be like, okay. uh, well, we'll see then. But you know, if it all, if the movie turns out great, it answers a lot of these questions and problems on its own. If it turns out to be crap, then that's when it's going to be like, why? After the prequel trilogy, well, I, I even with the prequel trilogy, I'm not one of those people. I'm not. I just can't let myself expect to be brought back to being eight years old and watching Star Wars. You know, there's just not that. The only thing that can do that in a Star Wars movie is the opening 15, 20 seconds, <laughs> you know, that right. are exact. that were bow, and the, it's the same feel well, and the first time. And the first 23 seconds will not be the same. No, I know. <laughs> I know. It won't be the Lucasfilm Limited and stuff. The 20th Century Fox fanfare. Yeah, 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 but but there, but but you know it will be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right. I know what you meant, but yes. Um, you'll get that at least. But even, well, like I said, even without that Fox fanfare, it's not going to feel, it's going to feel different. Yeah, it is different. It's it's a different thing. We're it's uh, we're entering into an interesting phase, and if the trilogies go wrong, then I, then my hope is going to be that you know we'll get a we'll get a good yearly movie. You know, maybe the right. Joe Johnson Boba Fett movie will be awesome, 
and we'll get, you know, maybe I'll finally finish my Yoda script and somehow insinuate that into... Just get Yadoi in there, and we'll be all happy. Yes! Yes! I'm telling you, man, my Yoda script is is, is awesome. It's I want the Adventures of Adoi movie. That's what I want. <laughs> There's nothing stopping us from making a fan film. <laughs> That's from the inside, you know. Well, I don't know. Does anyone have any remaining uh, talking points they wanted to kind of get to or had in mind? or You, you know what's, you know what's did, funny is I've got so many notes here. For all EU stuff, we uh, this we really ought to do another one of these. Oh no, I totally agree. I, I actually, <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> it's so funny now because it's like almost in memoriam. But you know, yeah, the EU stuff. It's just there's so much to say and so much to kind of go back to about that. But I still am kind of hung up on because the new books are going to start coming out this fall. I think the first one comes out this fall, so it's like. John Jackson Miller's new one, yeah. Yeah, and then I think that one ties into Rebels, which I don't even know if I was going to watch Rebels, but uh, yeah. So it's I have to make a decision sooner rather than later on what to do. But think about this: all all your old EU novels now have an extra layer of collectability now. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, do they? Yeah, no. they're Persona non grata now. It may not be right. Yeah, it may not be well, right now, but I'm talking about in the in the grand scale of collecting, they've stuff. never been. They've never been uh, collectible in that sense. I don't think. Yeah, it's, that's it's like, like Scott said. If 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 down the line when they're writing all these new EU novels and the same authors are writing it, and they just start stitching the old stuff back in, then right. who knows? Ten years from now, who knows? Some somebody might get a hold. There's some meme going around going. Oh, the ten things you didn't know about Star Wars. The old EU books are actually really good, and then all of a sudden people are looking for them on eBay. You well, never know. Yeah, I don't know. Saying that they're more collectible would be like saying the Land of the Lost DVDs are more collectible because they don't fit in with the movie continuity. <laughs> it, it, uh, no, it just gives you an extra. It just gives you an extra. Uh, oh, label to add on the the You know, these are the. Yeah, I'll tell you where the ray of hope is on that. Oh, I see you. The ray of hope on that is when they started this EU stuff, Marvel Star Wars was still on the outside looking in. Right. When they first started the EU, it was, oh, yeah, the Marvel stuff, it was it was cute, but it's really not part of what we're doing. And over time, they wound up integrating more and more and more of it. And there's some things that people like it. Yeah, yeah, well, people people found out they liked it. They found out it wasn't just a big green rabbit. Right. And so it went from being, oh, yeah, that silly Marvel Star Wars to being, hey, this is part of the story. We need to include as much of this as we can. So it may be down the line, this goes from, boy, that's that silly EU into, we really liked parts of this. Let's include as much of it as we can. And, and let me say this. One of the things that has bothered me in this entire lead up, to, and, and again, more reason why there was writing on the wall that they were going to ditch it. One of the things that bothered me is I kept reading all these articles on the internet about how awful Star Wars continuity is and how horrible it was. And oh how man, big of a yes. mess it was. And yes, that, I mean it is. It it is and has been for over two decades one of the most meticulously made continuities the out there. Continuity, yes. And for them to just, uh, when I knew those articles were coming out and everybody was slagging Star Wars continuity for being too complicated and for being too contradictory, I knew something was up because I felt like those were being planted. 
so that so that the perception would be when they decided to wipe the slate clean, everybody'd go, "Oh, thank goodness." Right. Well, you know, in the actual announcement that this was going to happen, I reread it before we began speaking. There's almost like a tone in the first couple paragraphs that while we love the EU, Star Wars has always been these films. And I'm like, okay, the EU has never, if anything, never gone against the films. No. Like that's, it's never been like that. So to have this almost like couching the announcement in this idea that we got to respect the films. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's what it's been that way the whole time. Yep. Another well, thing I will say the, one thing though that there was a video that was attached to yes, the official yes. announcement that mm-hmm. while the announcement itself was, you know, what it was, the video I thought was very, very nicely tasteful. put very together. Tasteful. It was very tasteful. It was rather touching because yeah. essentially, you know, for those that haven't seen it, the the video was people attached to this project that were giving their stories of what the EU has meant to them over the years. That I found genuine and touching. That mm. that was nice. It wasn't just a bunch of people slagging it off, going, yeah, it, we got rid of it because it, it sucks. You know, it, it was more it. of, yeah. you know, I love it, but, you know, here's what I loved about it, but, you know, we're making way for the future kind of thing. And while I didn't exactly buy it, I liked the video. You know, it, it, it did seem genuine. I agree. Well, and maybe it is, and maybe it's a hint that, you know, we have these new novels coming out, for example. Maybe outside the films, maybe it really won't have to be much different than it already is in some ways or something. I guess that's yet to be seen. I'm, I'm also saying, look, you know, with this announcement and everything, it's not like it's law. It's not like this is getting written into the Constitution. They can change your mind. And Wait, it's spread. not? Oh, yeah, we didn't do that at all. They could pretend it never happened. You never know, depending on whatever they think is going to work out best for them. So they may be saying it now, but it, <clears throat> nobody's nobody's going to go to jail or, or you know, not, there's not really going to be anything happening except for, you know, uproar if they decide to change their minds and just do the opposite someday. I'll tell you one of the really sad and somewhat disgraceful things to me is about the whole thing. And I don't mean disgraceful in that they've they've committed some overt offense, but it's just kind of sad that I mentioned earlier to Scott that Illumia doesn't exist in continuity and Zero the Hut does. But I want you to also think about the fact that now Aaron Austin will never have written anything that is canon. Oh. They yeah. can't bring him back. Yep. I know. Uh, way to bring it down, man. <laughs> Jeez. No, yeah. it's not just him. I, th- I thought the same thing, you know. I, I remember the day that they made the announcement. I mean, that was not long after. Yeah, it was like death. And I thought, you death. know, that... I, my very first, one of my very first thoughts was that that was a little bit tasteless. Yeah, and you he know? was one of the well, great contributors to the EU. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, you know, and I know we uh, we're just going on and on, but I it's funny, and I know Scott liked it. I'm glad he did. But actually, Legacy of the Force was almost a bridge too far for me when it came to the EU stuff. I still read the, even what came past that. I I think there was a sense that the EU, while as 
meticulous and as good as they could make it in terms of continuity, the actual story was definitely reaching the end of its useful life in a lot of ways. Um, so, in some ways, I guess I should think, well, I guess this is good they're rebooting it because, you know, it kind of kind of clears the decks in that way. But uh, it's still hard to let go, man. I'm not gonna lie. It also opens it up to a lot of the same problems. <laughs> the, oh, you know, it's just starting before. all over again. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. And I don't know where I'm going to put these damn new novels on my bookshelf. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Gotta start another bookshelf. Uh, like I don't have opposite. another bookshelf. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I could get another bookshelf. I don't have any place to put it. Yeah. My room we, is full. We moved in January, and all my Star Wars books are still in a couple, well, several boxes right now. So hasn't quite made it to the bookshelf yet, but uh, now I'm. We'll just see what happens after that, but I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyone else have any, uh, you know, things they want to get off their chest? We, I would definitely be open to doing more on this, especially, you know, as more comes to light or That's more. A, yeah, kinda, more information. It's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, you know, things are going to be coming out, you know, between now and next December, so. Well, I came into this show with no notes, and as it went on, I started scribbling notes, and I've used about half of them, so I got more shows. <laughs> okay, good. good. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, this all, uh, talking about the EU in general, I've been getting after Scott because he was reading Legacy Force, and I really wanted to talk with him about it because he seemed to be digging it, and while I liked a lot of it, there's also a lot of it that really... Oh, don't don't get me wrong. I had my issues with it as well. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed it, but I enjoyed yeah. w- I enjoyed character arcs. Yeah, yeah. The overarching story I found kind of yeah. weak. Well, I'm not saying we should even have that discussion right now, but then it just kind of it's just funny to me how it morphed into this. Like, well, then let's talk about the EU in the in the sequel trilogy, and now we've. <laughs> kind of gone much farther than I think we ever thought we were, that was going to go. But uh, we should convene. I still regularly. would like to hear your. Uh, I still would like to hear you know, on a Star Wars Monthly Monday or whatever it may end up being, you know, kind of your review of that series overall. But uh, sure, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have to do it soon while it's still semi fresh in my head because. Combined with Starting the fact go. that yeah it is, but you know combined with the fact that I I, re- I just recently finished the first Fate of the Jedi book and Ooh, frankly found it really boring. Okay. Um, and then this announcement, I will not be continuing forward with. Well, the, and that's uh, the, the to EU, me that's so. the problem with that is a major problem I guess. They're like, well, we're gonna rebrand all this Legends. I'm like, who's gonna read that? Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of hurts, not hurts, but that kind of bothers me that I was excited you had kind of really found something you did like in the EU, and now, yeah, Fate of the Jedi is like the sequel to Legacy of the Force, and you probably won't read that now because of all this that's going on, so, anyhow. Hell, I don't care if it's well written, I don't care if it's you know, whatever considered in whatever canon, I'll read it, you know, if it's if it's good fan fiction, then 
then I'm happy well, with there's it. There's a lot of Star Wars fan fiction out there, but I would never read any I of would, it. Yeah, you, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, good fan fiction is not something words that usually go together. No. <laughs> but I think we should convene every, like, three or four months until sure. this movie drops and just sort of... Uh, um, you can use... Scott, Scott and I is the cynical. <laughs> I was just noticing that I'm like, I'm trying to say nice things, but at the at the at at the very base level, the the we're all pretty much all four of us seem to be in pretty much a sort of a shell shocked agreement of like, all right, <laughs> this is you know if this is if for this to be a great Star Wars film, it's going to have to be. Really great. Well, I I don't want to get mischaracterized in this because I don't think I'm I don't think I'm cynical at all about this. I I, I think I'm just uh, I, I think I'm you know once bitten twice shy. Oh, I mean, I've been, say, yes. yes. I've been through this before. You know, I have been through this before. Well, and I'm I'll be honest. It's given me a little bit more perspective on some of these conversations that have gone on in the the geek culture, but specifically even like the two true fakes, uh, kind of network of people that I don't think I, I just give, has given me a better perspective on whether it's the new 52 or the new Trek or whatever it might be, uh, that I probably didn't have before, but yeah, I'm feeling you. Mm-hmm. I'm still, uh, you know, I'm I'm still really excited that there's going to be a new Star Wars. Movie, well, and so. that's what I don't want to. I don't want to like. Yeah, I don't. I am too. I am too. And when they showed that photo of them all sitting around doing their first read through the other day, I'm not gonna lie, I got excited. I mean, if the story's good, this will all be worth it. If not, you know, that'll I was be excited because it was happening. But I have a feeling. I don't know. You know, when I actually get to the movie, and I'm standing in line. Who knows what sort of, you know, and this isn't a drug reference, this is just a movie-going <laughs> reference. Who knows what kind of chemical cascade, you know, will sure. happen in my brain to where I'm like, oh my God, and I might get captured into the Star Wars spirit. But I have a feeling I'm going to be more on a, almost an anthropological <laughs> level going like, this is going to be fascinating to see my curiosity on how... They would craft a new star just from the all the elements of it, from it being a Disney movie and Lucas not being involved and J.J. Abrams with that being a double-edged sword to me and the original cast. Just seeing what happens, you know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. I can't imagine scenarios. But I imagine scenarios about episode one too, right? So I'm I can't wait. It's going to be like opening the ultimate mystery present. You know, it could be it it could be a stinking turd. It could be the greatest thing. It could be something in between. But it, I have no idea, and I almost can't wait. Well, I think I said this when the uh, the announcement of the, even the the purchase by Disney came up is I'm excited just because my son is three and a half years old. He'll be uh-huh. five years old when in December of 2015 when this movie comes out. And, you know, that will be Star Wars to him. I mean, we were if actually hoping this weekend to show him, you know, A New Hope for the first time. But 
I don't think it's going to happen this weekend. So here shortly, we'll start him on A New Hope and just kind of maybe stick with that for the time being. But, uh, you know, that to me, that there's something to that, too, that just like so many people, like especially people even younger than myself, the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars and all that is more Star Wars to them, to them than even Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be more of that, you know, with my son and his peers, so. Yeah, I got a buddy who's uh, who lives up in Washington, D.C., and he brought his kids down for a visit, and he said, oh, you're going to love this. They're nuts about Star Wars. Everything Star Wars. I said, that's great. He said, but they don't know anything about the movies. It's all the Clone Wars. Right. It's amazing. It is. But, uh, yeah, and if at the base level it, 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 functions to get a, a capture a little kid's imagination then it's it's sort of doing its job in a way at the very least any new star wars stuff if it can capture a little kid's imagination it's eventually at some point they're going to check out the original trilogy i'll say Earth. this though if this new trilogy my opinion of what's coming up if this new trilogy bears any relationship to any previous george lucas movie it's not Star Wars. It's not the prequels. It's American Graffiti. Because it's a movie geared towards older people who are trying to relive their childhoods. Ooh, that's a good point. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> Millennium Falcon is just like the equivalent of... Uh, you think it'll be Harrison Ford, like, yeah, drag be... racing other... other uh, yeah. With... Uh, Mackenzie Phillips. Maybe Mackenzie <laughs> Phillips will show up in it, too. John Howard. And Falfa. Yeah, I can see it. Ron Howard would have been actually a good director for a Star Wars movie, I think. Maybe he'll get a shot. Yeah, it's possible. All right, well, I definitely think we should reconvene at some point, but uh, unless y'all have anything else you really want to say tonight, I think I think we did pretty good. Yeah, I think we should we should pull the parachute, either that or commit to going till like, 6 in the morning. <laughs> and I well, know I can't do that. About to, unfortunately, I cannot do that, so... Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
we were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. 